All right, yeah. So the perks of being a strumpet is that on every episode, what do we do, Erin? We read a story. And? And we talk about what works and... Don't you? What? <laughs> doesn't. And what oh. doesn't, don't you? And what doesn't? I think that's the intro. What doesn't? ourselves is so superior and at this and then you see what animals can actually do you're like oh you know like they can control their pregnancies and decide when they want to have their babies right rabbits can reabsorb the kittens if they, there's going to be hard weather exactly you know? what yeah if there's going to be a drought Just. ahead or like hard times they can reabsorb the embryos back into their bodies kangaroos wow well yeah they can just keep it and they don't have to give birth until the conditions are right, and then you have this animal who can just <laughs> make his anus appear and disappear. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't <laughs> want that? I mean, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, why do you need it all the time? You know, yeah. you don't, I mean, you, know you need it sometimes. Yeah, you need it for a lot it of things. It would be good. Yeah, you do need it for different things, I guess. What would be your idea, buddy? I mean... If we were talking about based on a human configuration, but like add-ons, I don't think I would want something else for hands. Though I really like my hands. I don't want to have hook hands or starfish hook hands. Hands. <laughs> that would be the Logically, more right? A lot of people want hook hands, Erin. Well, you know, I used to um, go to school with some girls who had more fingers. And their mother had to knit all their gloves for them. It was a pain oh, in the wow. ass. <laughs> they had to have specially knitted gloves because they had six fingers. I don't think it helped them in any way. And not just you. If the whole race had. Oh, I think like tails could be useful. I was just going to say that. Uh, tails. Well, wings. Uh, no, because anatomically, if well, I mean, that is if we are saying that we have to keep this body, you know, if we are kind oh, of limited. Wings then would be hilarious. Would be hilarious, but if you want to fly, then you would be carrying these things. They ha- they'd have to be really big. Really big, because we... To, in order to carry our bodies. That's what that's the hilarious part. And the more weight you put on, the harder it is to like carry yourself yes. with your wings, you so, know? Like I'm putting on a bit around the middle. So I'd have I would, to really take it off if I wanted to take off. I would go for tail. That would be my my dream. If you train your tail to be able to kind of hold a bottle or to just do some move something else. Plus you have different styles of tails, so you can give them a little mohawk, you can dye them different colors and they have hair, some will have hair, some won't. You can pierce them. It'll be like the possibilities that are endless. I need a tail. I think we all need a tail. And it will be sexy. 
let's face of it. Of course. I mean, I think they're totally, they're completely underrated. And, and it's the closest <laughs> thing that, since we come from monkeys, I think it would be super practical. Furries would be delighted. All of those sexy monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> they're waving all their tails. The <laughs> imagine, no, imagine sex parties with tails. I mean, come on. I think all those sex parties I've been to. Uh, yeah, yeah. Imagine exactly. those with tails. Imagine. Don't man. pretend. Both of you. <laughs> <laughs> Flytraps by Ambika Thompson. The anesthesiologist moves to the side to allow a midwife to hold a baby up to my face. He holds it so close to my nose that I can barely make out its features. Is this your baby? he asks. I shake my head and he walks away with it. The anesthesiologist takes the midwife's place in my line of vision and says, As I was saying... She's telling me about how her great-uncle Frank knew this woman Louisa who dated Beethoven. I'm trying to shake my head, no, because time-wise that just doesn't make a lick of sense, as I can feel the doctor pushing my insides around trying to pull another baby out. So she asks me if I ever watched Doctor Who. I have not. I look over to my partner to see if they've looked over the curtain yet. They have not. I want to say, do it. I would. But the anesthesiologist wants to continue her story, and I feel it would be rude to interrupt her even though a string of midwives keeps interrupting us with the wrong babies. The next one that gets held in front of me looks like someone punched its face in. Ew, I say. <laughs> of course that's not mine. Louisa sounds like this woman I went to college with who liked to have everybody chase after her. The kind of woman that puts on a small voice and even flirts with her spaghetti when there's no one else around. The thing is that Louisa might not have dated the Beethoven, but someone named Beethoven, which wasn't even the most interesting fact about her. The most interesting fact was that she only had one baby. Really? I say to the anesthesiologist, and she says, yes, really. I'm pretty sure that the doctor is looking under my left lung for another baby, but I can't be too sure. It's hard to tell when your insides are all numb, so it might have been my right lung. The doctor who had pulled Louise's baby out looked everywhere for more babies, but didn't even find another toe. Louisa didn't have any more babies, and that baby grew up to not have any babies. Her name was Molly, and she became a big TV producer that made a big hit TV show about mixing human DNA with the DNA from Venus flytraps. The first person and only person who had babies on the show had 12 babies that had fly traps for hands. Though that episode was the most viewed TV episode of all time, the show was cancelled because people weren't ready for babies with fly trap hands. Also, all of the babies died. At least that's what the world was told. But my anesthesiologist told me that that wasn't true, and one survived, but the mother didn't want it, so Molly raised it on her vineyard in Prince Edward County. Molly had named her Venus, which I felt lacked a certain level of originality. When they'd go to town for shopping or to catch a film, Venus would wear mittens, no matter what time of year it was. The locals just thought that Venus was an eccentric child and figured that since they came from Toronto, they had to be weird. Venus was homeschooled, and when she was just shy of 18, Molly died a sudden, unexplained death.
Venus sold the vineyard and moved to Budapest, and became a burlesque dancer when she fell in love with a guy named Duke, who happened to be a duke in England, which made me feel like his parents also lacked any sort of creativity. Duke took Venus back to England. They married, and then he promptly died a sudden, unexplained death. The doctor peeks up over the curtain at this point in the story and tells my partner and myself that she thinks she's got our baby, but it's very slippery and is trying to use my appendix as a hat. That sounds like something a baby of mine would do. As she goes back in, and I feel like she's coiling my large intestine around her scalpel, the anesthesiologist goes on to tell me what happened to Venus, who returned to Canada after the Duke Duke died. Venus rented a flat in Toronto just around the corner from the studio where she was born and opened a plant shop that specialized in Venus flytraps because she felt that she'd never really had a family because Molly, as it turned out, had been a real shit parent. One summer day, a woman came in the shop wearing mittens and Venus and the other mitten woman flirtatiously discussed Venus flytraps for a good 15 minutes before Venus asked nervously, I don't mean to be rude, but do you have fly traps for hands? The other mitten woman looked flushed and shook her head before she pulled off her mittens and showed that she had flies for hands. Her hands flew up and tried to fly away, so she quickly put her mittens back on. They're weighted, so my hands don't fly away, she said. Venus nodded and asked her out for a drink. They fell in love over extra spicy Caesars, but at first Venus didn't tell her that she had fly traps for hands. But she did tell the woman with flies for hands that people she cares about die sudden, unexplained deaths. The other mitten woman nodded and said, Life is too short to fear the unexplained. That night they went back to Venus's apartment and Venus took off her mittens and the other woman took off her mittens and held out her flying hands to Venus. Venus's hands latched on to her fly hands and they kissed until the sun rose and they fell asleep in an S-shape. They awoke late in the day and wrapped their bodies tighter around each other and their fingers intertwined. Beside them on the bed were the browning fly traps filled with dying, decimating flies. I tell the anesthesiologist that that is a very nice story and she smiles at me as a midwife brings a baby to me. Yes, that is mine, I say, and the midwife walks away to clean it up. I ask the anesthesiologist what happens to the babies that aren't mine, and she asks me, Do you think if you flipped the world upside down that we'd now be in the southeastern hemisphere as opposed to the northwestern hemisphere? I have to pause and think about this as a midwife hands me my clean, swaddled baby, and my partner leans in to kiss us both on the cheeks and tells me that I did a very, very good job. The End So we're talking about fly traps by Ambika Thompson. And as always, I think, yeah, shall we start with what we liked about this story? Okay, well, I really loved the, the sense of, of that physical intrusion that having a baby can can bring about um, which is what people are trying to avoid when they have the water birth and the home birth and they make it into this magical mystical 
experience and I think a lot of women who have cesareans particularly where they have a lot of anesthetic and they're still awake but they can feel something happening have this kind of surreal sense that comes through in the story and, and I really love like the disorientation of it contrasted with the normalcy yeah. of it like the doctor reaching under my lung and yeah oh, it's hard to tell and I just thought that that was perfect um, I mean, the, there's a surreal tone, obviously, in this whole story, but the underlying feeling of it rings true. I like that as well, but for me, the first time I read it, this world was true. I did not. No, I, I did I, not. I totally see, agree with that. I it's... did not see the um, the cesarean thing until. Like, oh, this is great. Like, this is what you feel when you're un under anesthesia. But at the very, the first few reads, I thought, okay, this is a world where this is how everything works. Do you know what I mean? I didn't really see No, the, I totally agree with you. Me too. I think this whole thing is true in this world, but also, like, it's something of it is very true in ours as well. No, I mean, I kind of read it at both levels. Like, this is yeah. an absurdist story where all of this stuff is happening. Yeah. But then reading the subtext, this is somebody's experience of that disorientation at birth where you have these weird thoughts and it feels like the doctor's pulling 12 kids out of you. And mm. and then it's it's told through this, like, absurdist metaphor. So we're meant to believe it as a fantasy slash science fiction -y kind of story yeah and we're also meant to read this other layer into it that's about all of these different things about your relationship with your body and how that's subsumed through giving birth and also how we reclaim our sense of identity through different relationships and I don't know I think there's a lot of different levels to it but on one level it just reads as an absurdist nonsense and on another level it reads yeah. as a metaphor yeah and it took me a while to read it as the metaphor and I think that was super interesting I mean that's what I liked about the story because it I feel like I guess I've been thinking about this a lot you know like not I'm never going to be able to feel this to the feeling of giving birth and there are so many things that I'm like okay that's something I'm never going to know and this story got to me because I was, I got it first at this level of not knowing anything about it. But then if you have, I mean, even if you haven't gone through it, but somebody who has gone through the experience of birth will be like, oh my God, yeah, that's exactly how I felt, you know, in a way uh, of, yes, do you but know what I mean? I do, but it's, it's a very specific experience of birth. Oh yeah. For I mean, me, sure. this was the specific experience that I've heard certain friends describe of having a cesarean, mm -hmm. this feeling of somebody tugging and pulling. A lot of my friends who've had a cesarean where they're anesthetized from the waist down, but they're still conscious, describe this great sensation of pressure and of having somebody push on them and pull things totally different from having a vaginal yeah. birth um so it's very different from my experience of giving birth but still chimes with things i've heard other other women share yeah well, i haven't given birth but i've been to the gynecologist and yes it, it still feels like you know so, someone is digging through your body and you yeah. really don't know where they are or what they're looking at and you have to trust them completely that this is 
normal and should be like this because everybody else says so. Yeah. But it feels weird. Especially if they're trying to have a regular conversation with you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, While they're poking I mean, around. Of course, of course, of course, giving birth is the extreme of that. But I feel like women, we can empathize with this on, on, on a smaller level. Yeah, I agree. I think there's... It's, it's that thing about surrendering a certain physical process to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And at a certain level, we've all experienced it in doctor's exams or... Whatever, yeah. I also really like the play with gender here. It's not a play with gender. It's just like undermining our expectations. The stereotypes of... Stereotypes of gender. Where the midwife is he, anesthesiologist is she, and... And the partner is referred to as they. It's always a they. gender neutral. And then we have the main character who has relationships with people of both genders. I really like that as well, but I was also super impressed with what a strong beginning it had despite all of these different characters in there and despite all of these different pronouns. Yeah, I agree. Um, because I did not get confused at all. You know, it was really... I was just brought immediately into the story. You know where you are. You get the feeling of what kind of story you're going to read. You really need to trust your writer when you're reading something like this. And I felt that this was super strong. Well, I have to say, I was confused later. <laughs> later, yes. Later with um, the whole story that the uh, anesthesiologist mm -hmm. um, tells. No, but this is, it's, it's the same. I think, I'm talking just about the beginning. I think then later there are things that you're like, oh, wait a second, and then you go back. But you kind of know what kind of story you're going to read from the yeah, beginning. Yeah, from that first paragraph where yeah. you get that line about the midwife holding up the baby and asking, is this yours? And then exactly. you're immediately tumbled into this surrealist. I love that. I love that yeah. image of someone bringing you just a string of babies. Yeah. Is this yours? Is this yours? I love how that ties into a couple of different things. You know, it ties into that idea that mothers have this primal connection with their children so you would recognize your baby but then also into that fear that your baby could get swapped in the hours that it's mm. away from you and you hear those stories where the babies do get swapped and then later in life they have to decide if they're going to swap them back and you uh, know like it's, freak accident. it's yes it is a freak accident but there's stories like yeah this. sure and and so this it kind of made me think of that because it's I, I I'm very bad at facial recognition on that like Cambridge University test, I scored very, very low. I scored quite close to like facial blindness. Like I'm, wow. I'm very, very bad at facial recognition, and I have a lot of trouble telling if I've met someone before. In fact, I just reintroduced myself to somebody at work yesterday, and he was really offended. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but I do it all the time. I have a lot of trouble with face recognition, and so I always, always like, well, how do you know which baby is yours? Like. I didn't let mine out of my sight, so I knew he was mine. <laughs> but, like, maybe if they bought me the wrong one, I'd be like, yeah, probably. <laughs> I also love that the first, well, or the second baby that we did bring here, I'm not sure, plays with this idea that we should always be nice to babies and always think of babies as beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, that one, Ew. that could never be mine. Ew. <laughs> That's ugly as hell. Well, is there any things that we really, really enjoyed? Oh, well, there's a, there's so many lines that I really love. 
It's just like a string of midwives with wrong babies was my first laugh at this story. Yeah, I marked that one as well. I love flirting with spaghetti. Yeah. Mm, I liked that line. So good. What was it? The kind of woman that puts on a small voice and even flirts with her spaghetti when there's no one else around. Is that the one? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Like, flirting with spaghetti, I can just see yeah. it. Well, but it's true as well, isn't it? There are people like this. I could well, totally Yeah, but like in a, in a... I've never seen anyone flirting with their spaghetti. Well, but... They not, only do it when no one else is yeah, around. Yeah, <laughs> when no one else is around. How do you know that? No, but because you flirt with spaghetti. No, not me, but I've seen women who, who, who just... They're so cute in this. You know, they're standing like this and they just move. I remember... This is just an example and we'll move on, but there's this girl that used to serve at a bar at Fussbau, actually. And she looked like a doll. And whenever she washed glasses, she would just wash them like this. She would take a glass and go, you know, and just kind of move her head, tilt her head to this side, tilt her head to that side, and smile. And there was no one around. It was just, this is how she was. And she was basically flirting. Just for the listeners. With uh, the glasses. flirting with us, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing a flirty face. That was a great line. I also really, really liked it. One of my favorite lines was what happens to the babies that aren't mine, right at the end. Yeah. I loved this insertion of a really disquieting note mm-hmm. right at the end, yeah. and then this weird thing about the world flipped upside down and which hemisphere it would be in, and then and then my partner kissed me and told me what a good job I'd done. Like That last paragraph, I got so much pleasure out of, I really thought it was great. There's this disquieting, upsetting kind of thing about all the other babies, and then everything is happy, happy ending. Thought it was yeah. really nice. Yeah, I also had, I also marked the ending because I thought it was really good. That part, I think it was very well done. I was just a bit lost in the story of Venus and Louise and Molly and Duke and the woman with the flies for hands. So. I think it's just a matter of establishing some relationships in the reader's mind because yeah, I, I got impatient and in one part I just got impatient and I really didn't know who is who and who is telling the story and I would have liked to. Do you think maybe that's... Beethoven is too much, maybe the TV show is too much. I feel like something there should be ditched. I, I actually didn't have a problem with that, but I, I, I did get a little bit lost, but I don't think it was because there were too many of them. I just wanted her to spend a little bit more time with the important ones. I think that the, the thing is that she skips from one level, like Louisa and Beethoven, and then she goes straight to Molly, and then you go straight to the Venus flytraps. The Louisa and Beethoven, for example, could be toned down. Because immediately when you say Louisa, who married Beethoven, and then that's a thing. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big emphasis on Beethoven. It wasn't the real Beethoven. But then you really don't go into that. The only thing you need them for is for the flytrap babies and Molly. Because we're already telling a story within a story. And then exactly. that story within a story needs to be a little bit more streamlined. Otherwise, it pulls focus from the frame. But I feel like the important thing about Louisa, the thing that made her most interesting, 
was the fact that she only had one child. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it feels like you could easily start with that fact. Mm -hmm. He started to tell me, or the anesthesiologist, I don't know if it's a he or she, started to tell me about this woman that they had known who only had one child. Exactly. And then that child had not had any children but had gone onto this TV show. And then you still have all of these absurdist elements, but we just get right to the meat of the story within the story. And we can do that because she already brings us in midpoint she already brings us in halfway through a sentence as i was saying we're halfway through the story mm-hmm. but then we still get the backstory as i was saying and my cousin louisa dated this guy named beethoven but we already said that we don't yeah. need any of that we just as i was saying louisa only had one kid which was so weird yeah we can get right into that pathway into the story within a story i mean exactly. i love the beethoven thing the beethoven part but um it's not the bit that stuck with me though it, yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it, it's, it sounds like a darling in a way. You know, it's great. It's funny. It's clever. But it doesn't really give anything oh, to yeah. the rest of the kill, story. Kill, your, kill darlings. your darlings. Yeah. Yeah, my feeling was that this served to heighten the sense of disorientation and the sense of absurdity. And we're getting that enough elsewhere. Yeah. We don't need this extra element Yeah. yeah. To, to make her feel more disoriented or to mm-hmm. make it seem weirder. It's already weird as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's super logical. (laughs) I think it's lovely weird. I love weird. Yeah. So in terms of like things that you could lose from the story within the story, I don't really understand the point of Duke unless it was just to die another unexplained death. And I wasn't sure that I really like I liked Venus, which showed that Molly didn't have much imagination, but Duke isn't enough of a real name for me that Duke the Duke felt funny. But you you mean just the name or you want to get rid of the character altogether? What purpose did he serve? I don't know if she didn't... Well, if, if, if I felt like she didn't like him and then he died an unexplained death, that would be one thing. Or if he died and left her quite wealthy and that's how she bought the, the nursery. But, like, he's just there, they get married, he dies. He also she moves back to Toronto... And opens the nursery and meets the other woman. But I like those... Yeah, I mean, this is, again, the thing. I think that leaving us with... There are two unexplained deaths here. And she doesn't go deeper into it. But that's something that I was like, oh... Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I like the loop. As a, as a joke, as a character. Both. Yeah. What do you feel like he added? The unexplained deaths. Yeah. And the joke about the duke <laughs> okay. Duke. Joke about the Duke Duke. Duke Duke. Is it Duke a name? Is that a name? Well, apparently, Duke. Well, yeah, Duke. I, I mean, I've heard dogs named Duke, but that's funny. Yeah, that that's true. Duke, I didn't know if I ever heard a person's named Duke. <laughs> named Duke. But I'm sure there is. I think that Duke is such a simple, dumb, like dumb-ish joke that, but it makes it. It makes the layers comfortable but fun as well you know silly yeah you just you just have all of these silly possibilities as a reader that it's just like this humor it's like oh that's funny but it doesn't really distract you that much from the rest of the story okay it was just a funny little addition and for some reason that one was okay and the other one that we were talking about like louise and beethoven for me were that was like okay that's detracting attention maybe it's because of the placement i agree i feel like duke is harmless where he's he is right now, and he he's he adds a little bit of humor to the story. 
Okay. Yeah. I, I just would like just a little bit more there. Just the feeling that they were in love or not. Right. She thought this was her only chance at romance or something. Like, to feel like... I, I feel like there's such romance in that final ending with the fingers intertwined. And just to feel that a little bit more, I want things with Duke to have been obviously wrong and I'm just not getting enough of him in mm. there. I could agree with but that. that. Makes sense, I, yeah. I had the sense that things aren't good, but I haven't... I didn't have the proof of it. Like, I like this idea that Venus had this kind of tragic life. Yeah. Actually, but that we only find out later because she drops in as an aside about how Molly was a really shit parent, actually. And then you're like, God, of course she wants. The woman's a psycho who's running a crazed DNA (laughs) reality show. Of course she was a shit parent. She hid this child from the world. And, like, something like that about Duke would be great as Mm, well. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but these are the things that I think if you strengthened, the story would have a more precise direction in the end. It would be a little bit clearer. Yeah, but then, I agree. then again, like for example, the 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 Venus flytrap for hands, and the flies for hands. For me, that was I liked the metaphor and I liked how it ended, but I was also left with a little bit of um, questioning. Well. Fly traps eat flies, so are there hands underneath, or what is what is the deal with it? Like, what happens to the fly traps if do you just have it on top of the hands? This anatomical question, and I don't. I, at the same time, I don't want that spelled out. I don't want then. Yeah, Be, because <laughs> it's want... complicated. Yeah, <laughs> because I think she did give us that. Yeah, we got this vision of a girl who has no fingers. I mm-hmm. got definitely the Venus fly traps coming out of the stumps. And right. then the fly woman, I don't even know how the flies were attached. I could not, She had yeah. to have them weighted down. Like, yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then, then they have fingers. But then the fingers intertwined. And for me, I felt like this was almost a metamorphosis. Yes. Okay. Brought about by finding each other and finding mm. themselves. Mm-hmm. And so then this is actually a metaphor for being different and feeling that you're not the same as everybody else and finally finding that other person who has... A different difference but you're the same you know like it was this real real metaphor for thinking that you're alone in the world and that feeling that nobody else is like you and then discovering that that's not the case it's just that people told you you should hide these things and that you should put mittens on them and you should be ashamed of them and you could have been yourself all this time but it, it's true like I think in a way we all feel like for the fly trap for hands and what happens with the flies it kind of closes and we don't need more explanation. No, I don't need more explanation. And for me, like with Duke, because I feel in a way that this is a coming out story of something similar, the Venus flytrap was also almost a vagina dentata or something like that. <laughs> you know, like there, there's this, like, because vagina it's Venus. dentata. I, yeah, you know. She, her name is Venus, so she's literally named yeah, after the yeah, goddess exactly, of love. Yeah. You know, and yet she's got this thing about her that's fatal. And, um,. I totally read it as her somehow bumping off Molly and Duke, whether deliberately or accidental, you know, and I would have almost liked there to be some kind of, like, internal organ dissolving or something with those mysterious deaths, like, something that a Venus flytrap might cause in some way. But I I did feel it was always going to be fatal for Duke because they were never compatible as a match. 
So I don't want more details about what's there's there. There's definitely, an, I mean, I, I think you're right. There's definitely an element of queerness there, unacceptance at first by her mother. And then she found a male lover that was obviously incompatible as well. And he's a prince. He's wealthy. He's, you know. Exactly. He should be He everything. should be the ideal yeah. mate. And then she finds acceptance and fingers. <laughs> But all that being said, I don't think I need more. Like, maybe I need a... Maybe I want a sentence with the Duke just to be clear that he was an asshole or she wasn't happy in this relationship. Yeah. Maybe he wasn't, but uh, she was unhappy. But remembering this is all an underlying story in a bigger story about giving birth. So I wouldn't expect too much of this story. I wouldn't expect too many details. I About the understory. Too, totally. Too yeah. much of revelation. This is a distraction. Maybe it's a distraction with a motive, a message, but distraction nonetheless. Yeah, and it's also literally the anesthesiologist distracting her from the trauma of giving birth, telling her this fairy tale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On that note, however... I feel like one of my big questions on this story was the fact of having just one baby. And because at the beginning, she's like, you have, they're looking for babies inside her, on, on the, inside the narrator, which may be metaphorical or not, but then it, they make it a point of saying, well, this woman, Louisa, just had one baby. So what does it mean? Like, I really wanted to know more about this having one baby what does it mean in this world to just have one baby and how many babies do people usually have I, I really wanted to know more about this did you guys feel curious about this or was that just something that you wanted to move for on me from? it was only strange that she had two or one one and Louisa then... had one no the narrator, the narrator she ah, just had well one. I wonder if all these other babies she's being presented with yeah, are her babies from inside That's her, the other but they're thing. not her baby. So for me, this yeah. was about like, firstly, about that primal recognition where you can look at all these babies and be like, no, but that's mine. I recognize this human being on an instinctive soul to soul level. This is my child. So that was part of that idea that all these other babies have come from inside me, but they're not mine. And then. I also read it as kind of that overwhelm where just having one baby feels like you have a hundred babies because it's just so much more than you ever expected, so much more intense on every single level that it's not just having an extra person in your house, it's having this extra creature that calls on you every minute of the day and then you add another one in maybe and having two children feels like having 200 and there's this, this kind of exponential increase that is so, I don't know, overwhelming. I feel like because you can read that from this story, I didn't want more of the explanation of the babies. Same. I didn't want more explanation either. Then it would make it a world, a fictional world, where this happens, you have to have more babies than one. But if you leave out all the details, then you can like read into it what, what you just said. Yeah. And I like the fact that you could read it in any one of a number of ways because yes. I, I also felt that there was 
yeah, all I don't know, all of these different different ways that you could read it. For me, maybe that was it was similar, but I didn't picture all of the other. I mean, for me, it was just this metaphor of like, wait, what happens there? And then they just replied to her in a completely nonsensical. What was the last sentence? Yeah, this one about the world being turned upside down. Do you think if you flipped the world upside down, that we'd now be in this uh, southeastern hemisphere as opposed to the northwestern hemisphere? <laughs> I just read it as simply, like, you answer with this huge worry, and then they answer back as like, oh, do you think this, which has nothing to do, and you're like, oh, and then you think about it. So you just move on, and then they just go into, oh, and then I got, they kissed us both on the cheek. Telling us we did a very, I did a very, very good job. As if saying, that's not your problem. Like, just concentrate. But it, it, it also like, it got from a very public ordeal to a very private ordeal. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a, this is a story about what happens in public and all the illogical things you can like be surrounded with, especially in the instance when you're giving birth and how big it feels and how surreal and then you just go back to see your partner and your baby yeah 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 Yeah, Yeah. exactly exactly yeah this this idea of suddenly being public property and handing over this level of autonomy and control to someone else is very scary and because in that moment you just have to go i'm not in charge right now this person is in charge and i hope i can trust them and then we once again, this is a question that I, I was wondering what you guys felt about it because you have an, an anesthesiologist, a midwife, and a doctor. And I know that midwives and doctors work together, but I also felt like the doctor here wasn't really helping that much, or, the, or is it just too many people around? Maybe that's no, the, the funny thing. the doctor was digging inside her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have the anesthesiologist talking, and then the midwife, the midwife just coming in and holding yes. up the babies. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. No, I love this no, whole No, it does circus. make sense. But it, yeah, it does make absolute sense, but I was wondering if it's absolutely needed to have so many. But you say you like the circus. I, I like the circus. It's part oh. of giving birth. Like, I couldn't tell you how okay. many people walked in and looked at my <laughs> nether regions yeah. in the most like intense moment of my life. Well, I feel like if... If you want it to be a circus, I think the circus should be emphasized just a tad more than it is already. Because I feel like it's at a point when you're like, oh, okay, there's a doctor as well. But I had to go back and and see, was it a doctor at the beginning or not? And and I think that it would be more fun to be like, there's a doctor. There's not, I mean, not spell it out like that. That's up to the writer. But make the circus a little bit more prominent. Make it clear that there are three people that are standing there and maybe even more people walking in and out while the midwife is holding the baby. I know the baby thing is already quite prominent. I loved that. But I think the other two, the anesthesiologist takes a lot of protagonism and the doctor only appears when they're digging in there, but it could be a little bit more chaotic at certain points. Yep, I like that idea. And I could even imagine the doctor throwing in some asides to the story uh, yeah. as well. Like, be, saying as, something while completely... While he's got his hand up under a lung, he could yeah. say, I remember that TV show or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. That would be good. Exactly. Yeah, good. Exactly. Make it a little bit more clear that there are a bunch of people talking at the same time and she's feeling everything happening 
and, and feeling as if he's digging under her lung, but at the same time talking about the TV show. And yeah, I, I really would like to see the circus stand out. I don't want more people in the circus, though. Okay. I just want maybe what you said there, and, and that's a really good idea if they come up more in the story about Louisa and about Venus. Mm. Cool. Any other things that stood out to any of you? I like. I really like that the baby was using the appendix as a hat, and that sounds like something a baby of mine would do. I like that. I know yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, cut out the line about Doctor Who. What's that about? The line watch, about Doctor Who? Do you watch Doctor Who? Mm. It, it was my last comment. I was like, so little questions. Why Doctor Who? Kill off Doctor Who. <laughs> I think there's she a, doesn't mean it. I think she there's a mean personal it. vendetta here. Exactly. So basically, I mean, our main feedback, though, is to make it a little bit neater. Uh, in terms of, especially with Luisa and Beethoven, just go straight into the story of the one child, Molly, and then the fly traps and the flies, right? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Dive into that part of the story a little bit faster. We're interested, <clears throat> we're interested in her relationship, Venus's relationship with Duke. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe even with Molly, her relationship with yeah, Molly. Yeah, maybe even with yeah. Molly. Basically, we want to know more about Venus's life. But all in all, I mean, for me, the, the voice, once again, is super strong. And I feel like it's a very solid story. Yeah. And I feel like it, it's got a very definite audience. Like, I think there will be some people for who this is no good. Like, people who don't like absurdist stuff will just be like, not my thing. And other people who like me. Yeah, will just be like, yeah I, I love, just it. love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah this <laughs> is definitely my cup of tea. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that sounds like... An end! Yeah. Yes. <laughs> sounds like the an ending. Do you give Erin a kiss on the cheek and tell her she did a very good job? Erin, <laughs> you did a, a very job, good job, Erin! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. The story strumpets are Sharon Mertens, Erin O'Loughlin, and Dunya Madakovich. This episode was produced by the story strumpets and edited by Dunya Madakovich. Artwork and music is by the incredibly talented Tom Moore, whose work you can check out at tommoore.eu. If you would like to submit a story, please look at our website for information and guidelines. And if you like what you're hearing, it would make us so happy if you reviewed us on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.